Right now, I'm going to invite the ushers to receive the offering. So uh, if you have that with you, you can take that out. If you're a part of Central, just write Central on your check or on the envelope, and we'll make sure that uh, it goes in the right spot. And I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Uh, Luke chapter 15 is an iconic passage of Scripture. Uh, it, is, it is absolutely one of my favorite places in the book of, or in the book of Luke. And um, in fact, when I was writing my sermon, I finished it this week and I thought, I want to write an entirely different sermon about the same passage and I want to do it next week because there's so much that goes on in this that I could literally talk about this one chapter of the Bible probably for a month. But, uh, but we're going to focus on one particular thing. And I want to remind you that we're in a series that's called Humankind and we're talking about the conversations or we're looking at the conversations and the interactions that Jesus had with other human beings. We're just stopping to say, when Jesus encountered people, what did he say? What did he do? What were the things that he emphasized? And one of the things you'll notice as you look at Jesus and you see him having these interactions, you'll soon recognize that when Jesus was talking with people, he frequently told stories. In fact, a third of Jesus's teaching came in the form of stories. Um, and Jesus told stories, unlike me, Jesus told stories that actually had a point to them, right? Um, three of you got that. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. All stories have a point, even if it's entertainment value, right? But Jesus told these kinds of stories that had a real point, a very simple, very specific point. And we call these stories parables. Um, parables, if you think about a parable, a parable is like a window that opens up that allows you to see the kingdom of God. Uh, there's stories that allow us to understand who God is and what he's about. Or a parable might be like a mirror that gets brought up in front of our face that allows us to see who we are, right? Or it might be a doorway that opens up that allows us to experience the life that God is actually giving us. And so that's the reason behind parables. But also as Jesus gave these parables, we get to know him. We get to understand Jesus. We get to understand his heart as he begins to tell these stories that have a purpose. And that's incredibly important and here's why. Um, there is a lot of misunderstanding in our world today around Jesus around the church, and around Christians. And what's unfortunate is, I think a large percentage of the time, that misunderstanding is the result of those who say they follow Jesus not really knowing what Jesus was like. Sort of like we're eating leftovers all the time. We get these hand-me-downs of things about Jesus and we get one person's interpretation of another person's interpretation of what matters to Jesus. And so we come to a passage like this and I love it because we're getting a first-hand look at what Jesus says he thinks is, is important. We get to see what Jesus values and what he's really like. So we see these interactions and we actually, all of us in the room, walk away going, I think I actually know what Jesus is about today. I think I know more of who he is, and I think I know who I'm supposed to be if I'm a follower of him. So with that, I want us to dive in. If you open your Bible, Luke 15, I'm gonna start reading. We're gonna break this up and talk this, uh, this thing through. So verse one, Luke chapter 15 starts like this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. I'm going to pause right here for a moment. The scene is really set here in these first few verses. And this is where we get the context of what Jesus is about to say. 
It says that the tax collectors and the sinners were gathering around Jesus. They were drawing near to him. And what this is essentially saying is, these are the non-religious people. These are the broken in the community. These are the ones that were, they, they didn't have any interest in jumping through religious hoops. They were the ones that were unexpected around the church environment, right? And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled about this. These are the neat and the clean, and the tidy, and the obedient. And they're complaining, right? They're grumbling because Jesus, who by the way, they understand is supposed to be connecting humans with God, they're grumbling because Jesus is hanging out with people who in their view aren't connected to God, right? Religious people, they wanted Jesus. This is always the case with religious people. Religious people always want Jesus to be religious, right? It just makes sense to them, right? Like if you're God and we're religious and we're doing all of these different things, then when you get here, when you come, you should come to be with the religious people because we're, doing all, we're jumping through all the hoops, right? That's what they're thinking. But instead, Jesus isn't hanging out with them. He's hanging out with the opposite of him, of them, which presents this problem for them, but I really believe it opens up an opportunity for us. These verses, what it says in this first part is that because they didn't understand him, because they're looking at this scene, they're scratching their heads and going, why, why is he with these people? Why isn't he with us? Because the, the religious, neat, clean, tidy people can't figure out why Jesus is with them, Jesus tells them a story. So that's the context. He's gonna help them understand this is who I am. And so we read on in verse four. He says this, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Now, the pretty famous story here, the story of the lost sheep, the, the shepherd leaving the 99 to go after the one, right? But this is a story that makes sense to these guys. In fact, you notice how Jesus, he's a master storyteller, he's a master teacher, right? He, you notice how he begins this. He begins because he's in a way that identifies this is a regular occurrence among the people. Jesus says, what of you doesn't do this? Like, who, who among you wouldn't do this? And they all are nodding their heads, like, you're absolutely right. This is what we would do, like, if this happened. And so Jesus has them agreeing with him from the very beginning, right? He says, which of you doesn't do this? And then notice how he closes that. He gets back home, and he calls his friends together. He calls his neighbors, and he says, listen, I found the sheep. Let's throw a party, right? This is kind of hard for us to understand. If you fast forward a couple thousand years, um, you understand this a little better if your neighbor loses their dog, right? And they go searching and they come to your house and they say, have you seen my dog? And would you come help me find it? Um, you know, first of all, that they're going to look harder for their dog than you will, right? Some of you, you don't even want to help your neighbor find their dog if it goes missing, right? And you know what I'm talking about. You're like, hopefully they never come back, right? But they search and search and you pretend to search a little bit. You help a little, right? But you don't search as hard as they search. And when they finally find their dog, there's that moment, right? They announce to the neighbors, I found my precious dog, you know, and depending on the dog, we don't know how we respond to that, but we pretend to be excited with them, right? And so they announce it. So Jesus tells this story and then he makes a statement. Verse seven, just so 
I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So what Jesus says is, in the same way, in the same way that that this circumstance happens in this illustrated form, that is the way it happens in the reality that we live in as human beings connecting to God. This story is like that story. That's what he's saying. This is God and humanity's story. But then Jesus continues on. He dives right into another story. Listen to this in verse 8. He just goes on. He says, or what woman... Having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that was lost. We don't need a lot of cultural context for this one, right? I don't know how many of you in the room have sheep, but I know you all have money, right? We all have some amount of money. And this makes sense to us. She loses some cash and she goes looking. Uh, when I was a kid, um, when I was like in my early teens, we had a Cocker Spaniel. I don't know why, don't ask me why, but we did. And uh, this Cocker Spaniel had a tendency to eat certain things around the house that were really unusual. Like this was a habit of hers. And uh, you know, I was like 13 years old. I, I had saved up some cash and I had it on my nightstand. And one day I walked into my room and it was like 60, 70 bucks, something like that. And I walked in my, my room and the money was gone. Now, I also have two older brothers. And so the assumption was those scoundrels stole it, right? And so I confront my brothers who took my money and they're like, we didn't. And then, then there's the all out search. Where's my money? And then it dawns on us. We think the dog might've eaten the money. Well, I got it back. Except nobody really wanted to celebrate with me when I did, you know? <laughs> Come, celebrate. The money that was lost was found. You should have seen the banker's face at the teller when I, when I had the plastic bag and the money, and, she just, and it was just enough of that, right? But you know what I'm talking about. So this woman, she loses the money, and she goes searching. And when she finds it, she, she celebrates, right? Because the coin that I lost, I have found. And then Jesus says something really similar to the other story. Verse 10, he says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents, right? So a man finds his sheep and he celebrates with his friends and and a woman loses a coin, one of 10, and she celebrates with with her friend and, and Jesus says, it's like this in heaven. Like when one thing that's lost gets found, this is what it's like. And so the Pharisees, the neat, the tidy, the religiously organized, they are listening closely now. They're like, okay, okay, we get it. We go after sheep. We get it. We're, we're going to go after the money, right? But then Jesus, he has them here and he, and he begins to tell this third story to them. Verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into this fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. 
you, you have to listen to this. This is huge. And if you think you've heard this story before, just try to wash any misconceptions you have or any other ideas about this away and just listen to what Jesus did here. Jesus starts this story by painting a picture of a person that every individual who was listening to him at that moment would have despised and been appalled by. We have this kid, younger brother, comes to his father. He says, I want my share of the inheritance. In the Hebrew culture, that's the equivalent of saying, I wish you were dead to your own father. So he begins this way, violates the relationship between a father and a son. And then he takes all that he has and he leaves home. In a a family-based culture, this is another violation. He leaves the nation and he goes to a far-off country. This looks like abandonment. And there, what Jesus describes is a life that is lived deliberately reckless and despicable, disrespectful to everybody. That's what he's doing. This is a nasty, corrupt individual. And so Jesus is just building building the tension. And then he says, a famine comes. And so this kid runs out of money and he ends up becoming a slave to another nation. Now you have to remember that Jesus is talking to Pharisees who live in a country occupied by a foreign government, the government of Rome. And so this is like Jesus just twisting this story. The tension is building and then he pushes them over the edge. And he says, so as this slave to this person, he's forced to go feed pigs. Remember, he's talking to kosher Jews. So Jesus paints a picture of a young man that would disgust every one of his listeners. You can imagine on their face just the the pain, the angst. He's describing in great detail this nasty, despicable, disrespectful individual. He's the opposite of everything they stand for and believe. The tension is there. Jesus has them right where he wants them. And then he continues on, verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and I'll go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. You can imagine the religious folk in the room (laughs) being like, oh, no, you don't. Don't you dare think you can come home after all that you have done. But verse 20 says, he arose and came to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. I'm not gonna accept you back as a servant. I'm gonna get the best robe and the finest ring and we're gonna have a feast The fattened calf would have fed around 100 people, which means this man invites all the neighbors whom the son had embarrassed him in front of when he left. He invites them all over, and they're going to have this feast together, right? They're going to have a party, just like the party the shepherd threw, just like the party the woman with the coin threw, because this son of mine was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. This story tells us so much about Jesus and his heart towards us. 
And just remember, he's telling this to the Pharisees. And, and you've just heard these stories and inside you know, you know, you know, you know that they are churning, right? Because this is scandalous. This is wrong. And Jesus is saying to them, no, this is my heart. This is who I am. That's what Jesus is saying. So as Jesus goes on in the story, he doesn't just show us who he is. He starts to show them who they are. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in and his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he's found. So the older brother, he comes, he goes, you didn't even give me a goat. Did you give him the fattened calf? And the father says, you've been with me. Everything I have is yours. By the way, if you haven't picked up on this, the father is the God character in the story, right? And the God character, the father says, you've always been with me. And when he says this, you know, you could write the end of the story your own way, right? The, you could see this being like the older son says, oh, dad, you know what? You're right. I've been such a jerk. And can I get you a soda? And dad puts him in a headlock and gives him a noogie, you know, and they go into the party and everybody, everybody becomes a Christian. You know, that's how Christian stories end, right? But that's not how this story ends. It just ends in this tension. Like Jesus just looks up at the Pharisees and it stops there. The older brother doesn't get it. The father just says, the son of mine was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. These religious do-gooders trying to earn their way to God and being the best selves that they could possibly be are objecting to Jesus who is hanging around with some people and in some places that they think good, tidy, religious people shouldn't be. And he tells them about a sheep that was lost and a coin that was lost and a son that went missing. And each time they're found, there's a party. There's more celebrating in heaven, he says. This thing is left unresolved because the resolution isn't supposed to happen in the story. It's supposed to happen in us. He left it open-ended and looked at the Pharisees in the eyes and said, so what do you want to be? Do you want to be a younger brother or do you want to be an unrepentant older brother? And we learn so much about Jesus in this, don't we? I mean, f first of all, like this is really clear. This is so obvious this is why he came. Jesus cares about lost things. That's, Jesus cares about lost things, right? Certain things, certain people are lost. What that means is they've wandered away from home. They're, they're not where they belong, right? 
It isn't describing some sort of depravity. It's just simply saying they haven't been restored. They aren't in the right place, right? People are lost. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I'm all about people getting back to where they belong. I'm about lost things being found. That's what he's saying, right? And what's so scandalously obvious in this is that the places that that we go or don't go or the things that we say or don't say or the things that we consume or don't consume have nothing to do with going from lost to found or death to life. Cleaning up your act is not how you go from death to life. See, this whole thing is Jesus saying, Do you want to know who you are? This is about identity. This is about answering that question, who am I? Do you want to know who you are? And Jesus says, you are not defined by the places you've been or the things that you've said. Your identity is is not your achievement. It's not the test you passed or failed. It's it's not the the grades you got in school. It's not about the, the balance in your bank account. Thank goodness, right? You are defined by the love and grace that you have received from him. That is your identity. And that is really good news for folks like us who don't always feel very clean and don't always feel very good. Are you with me in this? Like to all of us who have ever maybe thought, you know what, I don't know that I'm good enough or I don't know that I'm clean enough or I don't know that I jumped through all the religious hoops. This is great news for all of us. This is great news because what Jesus says, if that's you, you belong. You belong. And Jesus makes it obvious. But what's not so obvious is this other thing that we learn. We also see that Jesus cares about this thing called repentance. I just want to kind of go back and remind you of this. You know, in the first story, Jesus talks about the sheep. And then when he talks about the one being found and the celebration over the one rather than the 99, the qualifying statement is one sinner who repents over the 99 who need no repentance. In the second story, he leaves off the part about um, those that don't need it, but just says the same thing again, much rejoicing over one who repents. And then in the third story, the story of the son, we don't get a statement by Jesus, we get a repentant statement from the son, right? He's in the field, he's with the pigs, and he says to himself, I will arise and I will go to my father's house, and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm not worthy to be one of your servants, one of your sons, but will you make me your servant? What he's saying in that moment is, I'm repenting, right? And he goes to his father and he says those words. He says, I am no longer worthy to be your son. Will you just let me be your servant? And the father receives him, right? This is a statement of repentance. The father hears this and he restores the son and the son who doesn't repent is left out in the awkward silence and the darkness. What was lost was found and what was found was celebrated because what was found had repented. So a word about this word repent for a moment because I think, especially in our day and age, We need to clarify what it means. Because again, there are words that we use in the church that people misunderstand. They think it means this and it doesn't mean this or maybe it meant that, but now it means... And we need to be really clear about this. The Greek word that's translated into the English language, repentance, is the word metanoia. The word metanoia is most commonly translated as a change of mind. 
We're talking about people who change their minds. So repent is a word that's describing a shift in your thinking, a change in how we view ourselves, a change in how we think about our life, a change in how we orient ourselves. It describes a state of turning, that you were, you were kind of moving in one direction or thinking that life was this, and now all of a sudden there's this epiphany, and now you're thinking about this thing over here. That's what the word repentance means. It is this posture or attitude of moving toward something new. And what is that? What is that place? Or who is that person? What do we actually turn towards? Well, the son actually shows us this. The son, what he repents of is the spurning of his father's gracious love, right? I'm no longer worthy to be your your, your son, but I'll be your servant, right? And he turns toward the father, So what do we turn towards? What is this turning? What is this change of mind? We turn toward the Father. We turn toward God. We turn toward doing life in his presence. See, the the religious, the dead, the lifeless, they always talk about repentance in terms of what we turn from, not what we turn toward. Right? You, you turn from this, you turn from that, you stop doing this, you stop doing that. It's all behavior because that's what religion is. It's all about behavior, right? But when Jesus illustrates repentance, it's in terms of things being returned to where they belong, turning towards the Father and going home, being restored. That's the picture that Jesus has. So when Jesus talks about someone repenting, he's talking about somebody who just goes home. Just go home. Find your home. That's where you belong. So I'll, I'll, I'll close with this. Um, a few years ago, my girls were younger, and I took them to the mall to go shopping, which uh, as a dad raising daughters, this has always been fun. Um, like I really love food courts. Can I just tell you that? Because it's probably the most joyous place for us. But we went to the mall and we were shopping and, uh, and hanging out and having a great like daddy-daughter day. It was one of those kind of really fun days, you know. And um, I'll never forget, when we were leaving, there was this long escalator that goes out of the mall and there's a giant glass window and you can see outside the mall. You can see the sidewalk on the outside. And we're coming down the escalator and I noticed that there are people outside with signs and they're protesting something, you know. And so like my first thought is, oh, it's probably some labor union or something like that. And then I look at my watch and I'm like, well, it's too late for those people to still be working. So, um, <laughs> sorry. I knew, I knew, for some reason, Jordan, I knew you'd like that one. But uh, don't be offended. You can send your complaint emails to Jordan. That's good, right? Yeah. So then, you know, your next thought, we live in the Northwest, so I'm like, well, somebody in the food court must be serving some, you know, genetically modified corn product or something, and so they're making it known right out there, you know, and so I'm just like thinking, trying to see what it is, and as we're coming down to the bottom of the escalator, I just have this moment, I'm like, no, 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 no. There are verses from the Bible on the signs. And there's chanting outside. And they're screaming at people as we open the doors. They're yelling at people to turn from their wickedness, to turn from their sin. They're calling out all the behaviors that are so destructive. And they're just yelling, repent, repent. And we walk through and there's this angst in my heart. And I've got my two girls with me and we're walking hand in hand. And there's this silence. And I have this moment where I just picture... I picture any person who's never really heard about Jesus coming onto that scene and seeing this and going, is this what Jesus is all about? So we walk in silence. We get into the car 
And what breaks the silence, I'll, I'll never forget this. One of my daughters says, Dad, I don't think they're helping. And then she said, I feel like people like that give people like us a bad reputation. And as we drove away, I just thought to myself, I think my daughter has heard enough stories about Jesus to know what Jesus and his followers really look like and what they really act like. And if there was one benefit, it's that my daughter, I think, knows at that moment in time who Jesus really is. And my hope when we look at lost sheep and lost coins and lost sons is that when we sit in a room like this, that we have a very clear understanding of who Jesus is and who he loves to hang out with. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? There's a, there's a possibility that you've walked in here today or you've flipped on the TV and you've listened to this and you realize that you've never, you just realize that maybe you're that lost son living in a foreign land and you need to come home. And there's a bunch of us in the room that there's a, there's a timestamp on our lives when we woke up to the same reality you're waking up to right now. And it's the moment when we stopped and we said, you know what, I'm gonna go back to my father's house. And we said yes to following Jesus. And so if there is something that is stirred in your heart today, if you've come to the, the realization that you're like that son, I'm just gonna give you a moment in time right now to mark it and just to simply say yes to Jesus. Just say yes to coming home. Yes to becoming one of his followers. And I also want to say to those in the room that feel neat and tidy and clean and religious that Jesus tells this story to you as well. And he invites you to be embraced by his love and his grace. And so maybe you've been around church and Jesus a long time, but you've never really said yes to his grace. Mark the moment. Be embraced by his loving grace. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for liberating us from all of the striving. Thank you for freeing us from shame. Thank you for delivering peace and life. Thank you for, as Israel prayed over all of us earlier, for favor that falls on us, we are so grateful. We love you when we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Would you stand with me? It's our tradition to close with a benediction. I just wanna pray that over you and if you're comfortable just simply holding out your hands to receive this as I send you with this prayer. Two parts of this that I wanna be really clear on. May you be men and women who turn toward the one who is running toward you at the first sight of you.
And may you love lost things the way that Jesus does. In his name, amen. 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 Guys, feel free to hang out. Please hang out today. Amazing stuff out there in the commons. We love you guys, and we will see you next Sunday. See you later.